morning, everyone. It's good to have everyone here today. You alive? Everyone awake? Good, good, good. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to get started right away today. I want you to know that it is no coincidence the role that you play in the world today. Wherever you are, whatever occupation that you're in, whether you're upper management, lower management, no management, wherever you are, whether you're a stay-at-home mom that's managing three little ones around the house, whatever your occupation is, the role that God has for you, there is no coincidence in this. God has a very specific purpose and intention that he wants to fulfill in and of your life. And so today we're going to be taking a look at that and we're going to see what this is all about. Now we're going to be looking at our passage today and we're going to be looking at uh, employers and employees. Now to set the context for those that may have not been here for the last couple weeks, we back in Ephesians 5 we were given this little phrase that we are to submit to one another. And when it talks about submitting to one another, Paul then goes on and elaborates different ways in which submission needs to take place. It takes place in a husband-wife relationship. It also takes place in family relationships. And now we're going to talk about it taking place in work relationships. So it doesn't matter where you're at in life, this submission has to happen and it, doesn't, it, it happens in every facet of life. And in the work relationship, it's going to happen whether you're an employer or an employee. Now let's classify here. We're going to put employers as people that might be in upper management. You might be a boss. You might be a business owner. You may be the in, one of the influential people that makes decisions and that effect, uh, affects the outcome of a lot of other people. And then let's just say the employers, uh, employees are everybody else. It's probably the majority of us. But some of us are going to fall into that category somewhere. And so God's word is very practical. It will affect us in, in very specific ways today. So let's take a look at our passage, and then we'll understand it within its context first, and then we'll apply it to ourselves. It says this in Ephesians chapter 6. We're looking at verse 5. He says, Bond serve, uh, or he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear. The word slave could also be bondservant. Uh, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord whatever he has uh, from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Now let's understand the context first. The reality was slavery was the reality of the culture in which Christianity was born. It's estimated that there were 60 million slaves at this time, and in Ephesus alone, one-third of the population, one commentator stated that one-third of the populations were slaves, and many of these slaves were integrated within homes. And so it's, it's reasonable that Paul 
next logical thought of submission would go from families to slaves and masters. Now, I want you to know that by Paul addressing this issue, it did not mean that Paul condoned or endorsed slavery, but rather was teaching Christ's follower slaves and masters in regards to how to biblically operate within the bounds of their social and legal culture. It's also important to note that Christianity was the key for change to take place in society. As Christian principles were lived out and as people came into faith in Jesus Christ, it started to change hearts and hearts started to change lives and lives in the different occupations and influences, it started to change society and in that way, slavery was able to be abolished in many in this part of the world and thank God in our part of the world now I wish that was the case around the world slavery is alive and well it's happening in many places and the key to slavery like sex slaves like what we talked about earlier in terms of what we're trying to do in Thailand is exactly what we're doing We're trying to get to the heart of the issue. We're trying to change lives by introducing people to Jesus Christ and thus we change a society because that's what the gospel historically has done and will continue to do. Now praise God that the application today is more appropriate for those that are employers and employees, and I'm glad that we can approach that here. I'm glad that we're not living back to when there was slavery in the United States. This message would take on a very different tone. Now, the key word here in this passage is obey. Notice what Paul says, slaves obey, or employees obey obey. The word obey means to listen and to act upon the guidance. Act upon the guidance of your employer. And the passage says, as if you're actually working for God. As if you're actually working for God. And that's why they could have fear and trembling in their work. Because if we were working for God, we would understand fear and trembling. Now the phrase fear and trembling means awe and respect there would be a level of awe and respect for the person that we're working for. Now, he uses the word sincerity, that we would do so in sincerity. Now, the word sincerity means to be simple and straightforward. It's what you see is what you get. Now, you need to understand in this culture, which is also true in our culture, there's a tendency to be on your best behavior when the boss man is around. When you have the boss man around, all of a sudden everybody's on their best behavior. They're doing, they're hard at work. And as soon as he goes away, then they're on their iPhones, they're on their, on their, on their, on their computers, and they're doing the things that they shouldn't. This was a tendency to give face value. But what Paul is saying, no, no, strip this away. There has to be sincerity. Because when your boss is gone, guess who's not gone? Your boss your ultimate boss, who is God, because he is the one that we work for. And so we should have a hard work ethic. We should be consistent. We should be working with integrity in our work because it is God that we are working for. 
Now, please note that back then, these slaves had, had bosses, many of them, had unjust and unfair bosses. And even like today, some of us might have unfair and unjust bosses. Please know that they were still supposed to work hard despite the fact that they were in unfair circumstances and that was their opportunity to show the love of Christ to that employer, that boss, in order for them to have a, a, an impact. Now I will say here's the one difference. These slaves were bond slaves. They couldn't get out of it. You, you can get out of it. If you want to get out of it, you can move on. But the important thing is that through the moving on, we always maintain our integrity in what we do because God is always 100% of the time our boss and he is the one that we are ultimately trying to please. Now notice that by working hard in sincerity, that they were to do the will of God in, from their heart. In other words, this is something that they really, really, really wanted to do. They wanted to please God, and that was their internal motivation. How many of you sometimes have to dig very deep to find the internal motivation to do the job that you're doing right now? Anybody? <laughs> okay. Yeah, me too. Yeah. The guys I work with? Come on. No, I, I work with a great group of guys. I mean, this team is incredible. I will tell you, all kidding aside. But sometimes we have to find that. And the internal motivation for each and every one of us is our love for Jesus. And when we are working for Christ, then we can obey our boss. We can respect them. We can show sincerity. We can work for them as if we're working for God. We can be hard, work hard. We can work consistently. We can work with integrity from the heart. And the passage says that when we do this that the Lord rewards such behavior. Now I'm going to have, I have a little case study today that we're going to invite up and I'm going to ask Todd and I'm going to ask Sean to come up here and we're going to ask them a few questions here um, and break, break this down into a practical aspect. Now in a moment I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the reward aspect of this, but I want to go to Todd. Todd, I want you, now again, you guys got to hold it on your chin. Go ahead and have a seat. Have a seat. Make yourself comfortable. Um, if you want to stand, you can stand too. Okay, good. I, I feel like I got my bodyguards around me today. He can't look uh, like he's slacking. <laughs> that, that's right. Uh, Todd, tell, us, tell me what your work relationship is, and I want you to answer two questions. What have you seen in the life of Sean as as your employee that reflects the truth of this passage and from your viewpoint, what kind of impact is Sean having on a very rough group of iron workers? Well, first, Steve, I want to thanks for clarifying uh, obeying with fear and trembling because I wasn't quite sure how I'd rate Sean in that area. Okay, very good, <laughs> very good. My, my brother and I uh, own a concrete construction company uh, and we employ union iron workers. On any given day, we're probably on at least 20 different job sites, anywhere from Cleveland to uh, Wheeling, West Virginia, to Pittsburgh, places like that. Um, 
so I know uh, this was years ago, but one Saturday morning, it was a 20 degree, 20 degree day in February. I got up early and I drove over two, two hours to a job site south of Wheeling, West Virginia. Sean was already there working uh, in the hole. And Steve, uh, you talked about when the boss isn't around, hey, there's 20 different job sites uh, going on where people are really not uh, there uh, to, to watch and supervise. So it would be easy for people to slack off. It would be easier for people to leave early. Uh, that's something that I've never worried about uh, with Sean uh, on the job site. So uh, about two years ago, the guy that ran our entire Ohio field uh, resigned, took a job with another company. And Sean was asked to step up and take over the Canton uh, Ironworkers local for us. That was about one month before we sold the largest job in Canton history. It was the uh, Castor Project at Timken Faircrest plant. Uh, that job wor basically worked 24-7. Uh, so I know Sean worked at least 12 hours a day uh, during that time, and he was on call 24 hours a day. Uh, he gave his 100% even though, uh, you know, it was his own sacrifice uh, to his family and uh, it cost him personally. So there's no question about Sean working with uh, integrity and consistency as he does. So uh, he respects uh, his employers even though uh, we admit we're not perfect. Uh, we sometimes make wrong decisions and you talked about being fair it's hard as an employer to be always be fair. Uh, it's just it's just hard to tr truly treat everybody fairly. So, uh, Sean at time supervises over 50 ironworkers, so he's an employer or a, uh, so to speak himself. I know that he shares Jesus with the people he's working with because he can tell me who the believers are out there, and he can tell me at any time who needs prayer uh, for that. He's an advocate for his men, and he builds strong relationships. I know uh, during a couple of rainouts at the Timken job, he would just gather the guys and he would take them out for breakfast to spend time with them. So uh, I'm sure they respect Sean and uh, my brother and I do as well. Thanks, Todd. We'll get to Sean here in a minute. Yeah, you can encourage him. I think it's important that we remember that God has each of us in that 40 to 50 hour a week plus job for a reason. Uh, the, the video that we saw earlier, the, the idea that we are traitors for God, is trying to help us understand that this is our mission. Please understand, you probably have a greater impact on the world for Christ than I do. Because I, I'm, I'm preparing God's word and I'm trying to make sure that we're ready and guiding the church along. But my, my job is to be catalytic and to be an encouragement to you because we got all these different occupations that exist within this body. This is just a sampling of you as you came in today of all the different occupations. We got firemen, we got realtors, medical assistants, re uh, those that are retired, that's a job. Uh, moms, carpenters, marketing, sales, nurse, uh, nurse, uh, male nurse, there you go. Waitress, butcher, teacher, project coordinator, uh, lunch lady, dispatcher, hairstylist, massage therapist, state trooper. Uh, I'd like a get out of jail free pass. I'll talk to you later. Um, IT manager, uh, sec secretary, headhunter, home designer, student, lineman, landscaper. And that's just 
a sampling of the different types of occupations that we have here. And I want you to think about a couple things. If God indeed has put us on the mission field in these different occupations, then is it possible that when we invest integrity and hard work and are conscientious, that our reward is not just material? In our world, we tend to think of reward of, yes, I want a bonus, I want more money, but yeah, I hope that happens. And I hope God prospers each and every one of you as you work hard. But I want us to think of the, the benefit or the reward also in spiritual. For the teacher that has that opportunity to mold future people that are going to be in leadership. For the mom that is cultivating the core values within their children. For every one of these occupations, there is an impact zone for you in terms of what God has for you and the potential that you have for the kingdom is incredible. I want you to think about that. Here's a couple questions. Uh, as you guys came in and we wrote down these things, I want you to think about your core. Now, you may say, what in the world is your core? And if you're working out, your core is this area, okay? You want to have a strong core. But I believe spiritually there's a core, and I'm calling it your COR, your circle of responsibility. And so I, if you were to take each one of these professions and you were to draw a circle around 10 people that you have the most contact with, and you call that your core, and you started praying for those people, and you started having an impact there, what would happen for the kingdom if each of us actively started praying for the core? What doors would the Lord open for the gospel in these areas? Face it, there's a lot of people that have a negative view of church out there. They're never going to come here. They're not going to come here because of some perception that they picked up like a virus along the way and they just will not step into a church. So here it is. How could your presence redefine the church for them as you become the church to them? Because you and I, we are the church. Now let's talk about the employer. It says this in the passage. Masters, do the same to them and stop threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Now, when Paul says this, he says a, a, kind of a blanket statement of what the positive should be. He says, do the same. Masters, this is what I want you to do. Everything I told the employee to do, I want you to do. I want you to show respect. I want you to show sincerity. I want you to work hard on their behalf. And I want you to see them as a person. And I want you to come alongside of them with integrity. And yes, you're to do this unto the Lord because God is the one that you work for. Now, this is the positive message that Paul gives. But he also has a negative, a rebuke in here. He says this, stop threatening them. The very fact that 
Paul is addressing this, is showing what, what it was like in this culture. You've got to remember, slavery was alive and well when Paul was writing this. And for some reason, some of the masters thought that they could treat slaves as secondhand citizens. We know that in our own history. It's amazing. It's an atrocity what Christians did when slavery was alive and well. And so as a result of that, they would beat them. They would imprison them. They would enslave them into harsher uh, servitude. And they would punish them and show them dominance in this way. Listen to what James chapter 5 says, because even James gives an idea of the culture of that day. He says this, and he's addressing these masters, these bosses. He says, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the misery that, that's coming upon you. Better watch out. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosions will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last day. Behold the wages of the laborer who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of harvest. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Here we see James's harsh words for these bosses who were defrauding their employees of what was right, what was true, what was just. They were guilty of having abundance. They had riches that they had riches that rotted. In other words, they had abundance of food. They had abundance of clothing. Their garments were moth-eaten. These wealthy people had abundance of money. Their gold and their silver were corroding within their very pockets because they were hoarding it. And yet they did not pay their laborers what was fair and what was right and what was just. And so we see not only Paul, we see James addressing these atrocities that were happening in that day. Now I have set up Sean very nicely to be able to give any grievance he has against Todd. But obviously, there's some positives here too. Because there are good people that are employers that really respect and create an environment for their employees. So Todd, I want you to share a little bit about w what it's like for you. What have you seen in, in Todd's life as your employer that reflects the truth of this passage? And from your viewpoint, what kind of influence has Todd had in your world? Uh, first, right here. Right? Uh, first of all, it's going to take a second. I've got to read Todd's handwriting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. You know, I've had the blessing of... of of working for this company 19 years. And um, the minute I started working for the company, I knew this is where I wanted to be. Uh, I knew that uh, Todd and his brother were both Christian businessmen. And uh, sometimes businessmen, just flat out businessmen, get a bad rep in this uh, economy because everybody assumes that you must be evil or greedy or uh, whatever. And I know that that's not the case. Uh, Todd and his brother, they run a uh, good Christian outfit and the things that Todd said, too, about worrying about fairness. Uh, you know, people always have an idea of what they should have as an employee. And uh, everybody desires something more than what they had. And once they get that, of course, you know we're never happy after that point. Then we need the next thing. 
And, and uh, it would be easy to get dismayed about some of that stuff if you didn't know that you had somebody who did care about you. Uh, I know that Todd and I know that Keith both are very caring people uh, and they, they love their employees because you can see the way they treat them. Uh, they set the standard. I know Todd sets the standard. He is there most days before his employees get in that office and he's there after they, they leave from home from work. He's setting an example. Uh, I have the blessing of knowing Todd as my elder at my church and as a human being as well as that and more so as in that capacity than at work because we kind of go off and do our own things and, and there's a measurable trust there too and I value that. I have an employer in Todd who trusts me. Uh, Todd allows us to make mistakes. He doesn't sit there with his microscope and his thumb on me waiting for me to mess up so that he could throw it in my face. I'm new in his position, working on two years, uh, and I've made my share of mistakes, and he's allowed me to grow from the, these experiences to become a, a better man, a better Christian in a workforce that's not as really friendly in Christ, to Christians, and uh, allowed me to become the man the, and leader that I need to be. Uh, and, as, and, and really important, one thing I super uh, value in what I see in their leadership and Todd's leadership in this company, and it happened probably even a month ago, is that they recognize that they're not perfect too. And sometimes we get full behind a program and we start working it and it's just not working out. And, and he called, called a meeting, had us all in a meeting, and they stood up and, and, and one by one as the, the top three of the company they took ownership in it. They said, we apologize. What we've been trying to do the last month has not worked out, and maybe we need to go back to the drawing board and, and put this in its right place, and then we'll, we'll value it, we'll get it in the right order, and we'll start to make it work, and then we'll bring you in on it. And as an employee, that speaks volumes, to know that you have somebody who's in charge of you not pointing a finger at you every time something doesn't go right. Well, something's broken, so you must be the one making mistakes. No, they say, we own it, I own it. And, and uh, that speaks volumes into my life. And as a leader, it makes me aspire to wanna to be that same way for my men. Todd builds personal relationships and he leads by example. And he allows me, because I don't have a natural conflict or an unnatural conflict by having a, a owner of a company who I work for not being a Christian, that takes away one barrier for me being effective for Christ. Because I know that I can speak freely for Christ in my workplace and not have to worry about somebody uh, pointing a finger or telling me to tone it down. He allows me to be the man for God that I'm supposed to be. And it's been a pleasure for 19 years working for this outfit. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. What I love about God's Word is God's Word is so straightforward and it's so practical in terms of how we're to live our life. And if there's anything I hope that all of us get is that God is our boss. And if God is our boss, then we need to evaluate uh, for ourselves what kind of worker are we for God. And so as we conclude the message, what I'd like to do is give you a, a few challenging points 
I'm going to go very rapidly on this because I have people that don't believe I can get through this on time. <laughs> Imagine that. Um, but you get your pen and paper out. Uh, you can also go to the discussion guide online, and all 12 points are on the discussion guide. But I want you to first think, before I hit these, of where your position is in life, whether you're a mom, whether you're a teacher, whether you're, whatever occupation you are, you are at, I want you to think about the position of influence that God has given you. And these are business principles, actually, that a man gave to me who is helping us develop businesses in other countries, like what we're going to be doing with Hyrie in Turkey, our church planner, by developing a business aspect of, of him getting a truck and helping him to earn sustainable income over in that country. This man has given me principles that we give to these individuals so that they can be successful. And we say these are universal truths. They go against, they go across all cultures because they're from the scriptures. So here's 12 things. Here you go. I know 12. It's amazing. Number one, aim for a specific target. Philippians 3.14 says, I press on towards the mark, the high call of God in Christ Jesus. We press on to the mark to win the prize. What specifically can I do? What is my specific aim? And whatever it is, do that aim very well. I want you to know at Mission View, we want to preach God both publicly and privately, each individual, so that people will grow in intimacy, come into community, and in turn become an influence. So this applies to the church as well. Number two, that you plan for success. I don't know, somewhere God got this reputation that he doesn't like success. I believe he does. Proverbs 16, 9 says this, in his man's heart, uh, plans his, in his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his step. The key to all of this is that we first seek God. And when we seek God, God is honored when we apply his truth and he will give success. And he has also given you gifts that aren't just for the church, they're for what you're doing in life so that you can be a servant and so that you can be a witness in that area. Plan for success. Three, make a first good impression. Proverbs 3 says this, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name, a good name in the sight of God and man. Three things. Love. Love is the condition that people see. It is a simple equation. How am I loving people? Faithful. Faithfulness. Remaining constant, true to your word, and trustworthy. And guess what it gives you? It gives you a good name. In business, it translates into customer satisfaction. As a teacher, it gives you a good rapport with the students. In whatever aspects of your life, it applies. It applies here at Mission View. We want to have a good name amongst everyone that comes in these doors and within this community. Number four distinguish your business, distinguish your role. Proverbs 22, 29 says this, do you see a man who excels in his work? 
He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Why? Because he is a man who is excelling in the principles of God's word. Make sure that whatever you do, you understand the niche that you offer. If you're a teacher, teach with all your passion. If you're a hairstylist, do the best job you can do. Find your niche, understand what it is, and do it well, because God has created you to be an instrument of praise of what God has created you to do. I can't cut hair. When I would cut hair, my kids would go out crying. Now my daughter is a beautician. I send them to her. She does that. I don't. You don't want me messing with your hair. Anyways, know your niche. Number five, listen to your customer. James 1.19 says, Dear friends, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Do you remember the advice your mom gave you? You got two ears and one mouth. Do you remember that? Listen twice as much as you speak. We tend to speak twice as much as we listen. And in business and in life, in every area, if we apply God's word, it will have much fruit, much benefit. Number six, keep growing in wisdom and understanding. Proverbs 4 says this, get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget, nor turn away from the word of my mouth. My friends, whatever you're going to do, be the best at it. Be the best at whatever you do. And believe me, if you are the best at what you do and you work hard, you will be marketable even if you have to change fields, they downsize, they close the doors. Go see one of our headhunters. I'll point you out to him later on. He'll get you another job. Well, maybe. We'll see. But whatever you do, work hard and gain wisdom and apply God's truth. Always be seeking God's word to understand how you can apply it in your life. Number seven, work hard. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Now, for those that are employers, you know this. Finding hard workers is very difficult. We have people that want to play. There's a problem with millennial generations staying focused. And so they just kind of get distracted very easily. All you have to do is work hard and you will stand out immediately. You want to excel. You want to get ahead. You want to be a witness for Christ. All you got to do is work hard. Number eight, work smart. Proverbs 24, 5 says, A wise man has great power, and a man of knowledge increases strength. When we work smart, we see and seize the right opportunities. We don't chase after everything. And we got to know when not to chase certain things. We need to know when to abandon a plan that's not working. And we also need to know when to take time to sharpen our own axe. We got to take time to assess for ourselves. Number nine, build a good reputation. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. My friends, a good name becomes so powerful. 
And it takes so long to build it up and it can take a split second to lose it. And what we need to do is we need to build character. And when we have character, we get trust. And trust will produce opportunities for us. Our goal is that we want to build a bridge of trust with people that's strong enough for them to walk over it. But they will not walk over that bridge unless it is a bridge of trust that is built. That is true here at Mission View. We want to do that within our community. We want to do that with the political leaders. That's why we pray for them. That's why we serve them. That's why we're doing things for the school, because we're building a, build, a bridge of trust. Number 10, never give up. Ephesians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Refuse to quit. Thomas Edison said, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. This is what we are to do. We are to work hard and to never give up. Number 11, remember to trust the Lord. Get this passage, Deuteronomy 8. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Do you remember in the 2012 election, President Obama said, you didn't build that. And you know what the Republicans did. They jumped all over that and used that to show capitalism. And, the, and then you have the Democrats defending their cause and they're bickering back and forth. I want you to know they're both wrong. God built it. He gets the credit. He's the one that gives us rain. He's the one that gives us breath in the lungs. He's the one that gives us ability. He deserves the credit. He's the one that deserves it all. Remember, trust the Lord. And finally, be generous. Look at what Proverbs says. Proverbs 11 says, A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Luke 6 says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and will pour over into your lap. For within the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You're going to see a little circle on here. I believe you're going to see it on there. It's a, called the circle of generosity. Now, I want you to think about this. God was generous by providing for our need. He got us a job, which was our opportunity. And when we were, had that job, we became productive. And his design is that we would now fuel the generosity so that this cycle can continue. What happens is God prospers you, you're generous, you sacrificially give, and what it does in giving here at Mission View, it allows us to be able to rescue girls out of the sex trade. It allows us to help with the homeless downtown Canton with Refuge of Hope. It allows us to save lives through uh, uh, ICU, our ministry there. It allows us to see churches planted in Mexico working with our missionary in, in, in Mexico. It allows a church planter in Turkey. 
What God does is when we are generous, it cycles through and God perpetuates this generosity and he continues to grow because we have all been faithful in what God has called us to do. As we step back from this message, here's what I want us to do. I want us to have such a mind and a heart that God is our boss that as we close out, I want it, Mitch, really to focus on the honor and the praise and the glory of God. And as he sings these songs, I want you just to uh, stand and I want you to be able to open your hands up and your hearts before God and say, God, okay, whatever it is in my life, whatever it is that doesn't compare to your word, I pray that you change it. Help me to be the person. Help me to be that traitor for you to be used so that you are honored and glorified.